Hello and welcome to part 9 of our journey through Paul's letter to the Romans. This week, as promised, we're going to have a look at the second half of chapter 5 from verse 12 through to the end. Now, just a brief recap. In chapter 4, Paul used the life of Abraham to show that the way that we come to God through Christ is not some upstart novelty. Actually, it's been there all along. And that was how it worked for Abraham centuries before the Jewish law was given, even before circumcision was given. Last week, he looked at the past, present and future of the Christian life, how we were before we met Christ, the present state with him and how uh, all the, the past has been reversed and changed and then where this is heading into the future. But although he doesn't actually feature, you can almost hear that interlocutor, that, that heckler in the crowd, asking Paul the question, how does that work though? Uh, I, I hear what you're saying and it all sounds like good stuff, but how does one man dying in some obscure part of the Roman Empire mean that I, here in Rome, can get into a right relationship with God. And Paul's going to explain that it's always been that way. If Abraham's not far back enough for you in history, then let's go the whole hog, let's talk about Adam. And Paul wants to prove that it's perfectly possible that what one man does can affect the whole human race. Now we're kind of used to this idea a, a, a bit. There's a, uh, a there's a thing called chaos theory, um, which I've always used to organise my desk. And you'll have heard of a weatherman called uh, Edward Lorenz, a meteorologist who first talked about the butterfly effect, that the idea that a butterfly flapping its wings can cause a tornado across the other side of the world. Um, that, that's a very layman's idea of the butterfly effect. I, I think the point of it is that very small changes in the way that something starts can have massive effects. So if you're going on a hike and you set out with your compass bearing a mere one degree wrong, after you've walked a few miles you're going to be a very long way from uh, where you would have been if you'd have got it right in the first place. I think that's what the butterfly effect is actually about. But Paul is going to say, in fact there are two men who by one single act have changed the whole world. Those two men are Adam and Jesus and Paul is going to compare and contrast uh, what they did. It's not an easy argument to understand so bear with me I'll do my best to uh, try and help you along with it. Now the first thing to note in verse 12 is that sin entered 
the world. And that's quite significant. It's not been there all along. It came in like an alien force from outside. God had declared the whole creation very good. But something came in to spoil it in the shape of that serpent and the power that he managed to get over that one man, Adam. And one act of disobedience, says Paul, changed everything. And the result was death. In Genesis 6.3, just a, a little bit past what we call the fall story, humans lose their immortality. And uh, it, it's easy to think how nasty of God to do that. But actually, first of all, it's an act of protection by God of his world if people were allowed to go on and on being as evil as they were forever there would soon be absolute and complete chaos and breakdown and also uh, that removal of immortality i think was an act of mercy for humans living in the the painfully dysfunctional world that it had become but the fact is that since Adam's disobedience, death had ruled. It, it rules over us all. People fear it. People know they can't avoid it, but they try and not think about it. They use euphemisms to describe it passed away and, uh, and things like that. One of the things we love to do is watch the repair shop on telly. Um, although I often say to my wife, I think they ought to do a, a bloke's repair shop with fewer teddy bears, less crying and more engineering and woodwork. But um, nevertheless, it's a, it's a very liturgical format and um, it always ends up with uh, someone crying as the object in question brings back memories of... Uh, one of their relatives who has passed away. I don't think I've ever heard the word died used uh, and as a taker of funerals I would always make sure that I uh, called a spade a spade and not allow people unhealthily I believe to uh, make death not as awful as it actually is. So sin and death rule over us. But we do need a little detour here if we're going to grasp Paul's argument because this will seem a bit strange. And let's hop on to verse 19 which says this, Just as through the disobedience of the one man the many were made sinners. Now that's a, a, a verse which uh, theologians have argued about quite a lot. What, what does that actually mean? Because of the sin of one man, many were made sinners. And there's three possible answers, I think, to that question. And I'm going to, we'll look at them, but then I'm going to suggest that actually only one of them actually works. The first uh, interpretation of that is uh, we have all sinned just as Adam did. 
Uh, and that's true, yeah, no one's going to argue with that. Paul's already proved that in chapter 3. But I, I, I don't think that's really what that means. And it certainly isn't what it says. It, it says not all have sinned, but all were made sinners. Uh, remember that apple tree illustration. Uh, it didn't just bear apples, it became an apple tree and it bore apples because it was an apple tree. We didn't just do sins, we became sinners by nature. So it's more than, I think, just we followed in his footsteps in sinning, although we did. Uh, second interpretation, we all shared in Adam's nature. Now that's a bit more like it, and again it's true but it's not going to work with Paul's argument. I, I, I think there's a deeper meaning than that, and I'll, I'll tell you why in a moment. So here's the third explanation, and this is not biblical language, but I hope you know what I mean. What that means is we all shared Adam's DNA. And this, I believe, is what Paul is arguing here without actually knowing what DNA was or its existence. I think this is the best way to, to capture it uh, in the 21st century. Now, in the Enlightenment culture a few hundred years ago, humans became thorough individualist, and we really lost much sense of the corporate. But in fact, all the human race is descended from Adam. The DNA we have in our bodies comes uh, eventually from him. Now, some preachers, uh, this bit's in brackets, some preachers have, have used this to prove that there must have been uh, a literal Adam and Eve. I don't believe that you have to accept a literal Adam and Eve for this argument to work, but, uh, but just humour me for now. So when Adam rebelled, disobeyed God, something in his DNA changed, and we, who in one sense were already contained in his body, inherited, uh, if I can put it like this, a mutant gene which was hostile to God. Now, now listen, neither Paul nor I are geneticists, so um, don't tell me scientifically that doesn't make sense. But I, I think, as I say, this is the best way to try and grasp that argument. Bear with me. So the entire human race became sinful by nature and subject to death. That's what one man's single act of disobedience could do. And note again that that far predated the law, so it's true for Gentiles as well as Jews. All are equally subject to death, and one guy did that. But then, and, and here's the main plank of Paul's argument, then came along another man who through one act of obedience opened up a new way, verse 18. Now there are some similarities and some differences between those two men. The similarities is that a single act 
by each of them changed everything. That's verse 18 and 19. One effect affects everyone like that, that butterfly effect. But there are differences too, mainly because the second act is so much greater in its scope. Adam's condemnation was the result of just one single act of sin. Jesus' liberation came after centuries of sins by countless people. Verse 16. So it, it's so much wider in scope. There's so much more grace there. Now I think we can see why those three reasons above have only one of them that actually works. If what verse 19 means is all humans repeat Adam's sin, although we do, the parallel would mean that we all repeat Christ's perfect obedience, and that clearly is not true. Paul's going to go on and, and uh, argue about that in a couple of chapters' time. In the same way, if it means that we all share Adam's sinful nature, which we do, the parallel would have to mean that we all share Jesus' sinless nature, which we clearly don't. But it does mean, I think, that if we are born again in Christ, and I think that term uh, is not a Pauline term, but it is significant here, it means that we inherit Christ's DNA and we're declared righteous before God, okay with God. I think that's what Jesus means when he says, call no man father. I don't think that's about how you address the clergy. I think it's about whose DNA you inherit. When you uh, become a Christian, you're not bound by your earthly father's filthy temper or, or whatever it is that you may have inherited humanly. You've now got your heavenly father's DNA inside you. You don't need to listen to those influences which have been your teachers in this world. Call no man teacher. Learn from God. That's what discipleship, I think, is uh, all about. Calling no earthly person father. So that's how that worked. One man sinned and brought death into the world. The second man obeyed and brought life and grace. There's one final um, question at the end, like, like a little PS, which is implied in verse 20 and 21, and it's this. Why then the Jewish law? What's all that about? You can hear the Jew, uh, the Jewish members of the congregation perhaps asking that question. You know, we've been wasting our time all, all, this, uh, all these years. It was brought in, says Paul, so that trespass could increase. Uh, he's going to say more about this, so we won't stay with it now. But basically, the law is there to show us we're sinning and to stop us sinning more than we actually do. And we'll, we'll come back to that. 
But as sin increased in the world, as it spread through Adam's DNA from one man to the next, from one generation to the next, so grace increased and God's forgiveness um, was always there. The more was needed as sin increased. The floods of life get higher, but the lifeboat is always floating on top. Death reigns over us through sin. Eternal life reigns over us through God's grace. Now next time we're going to hear from that heckler again as he tries to twist this idea. But until then, go in peace to love and serve the Lord and give thanks to him for his rescue. For that new DNA that he's put into you.